What's up everyone? Anthony Heller here with Dear Vane and this week we are chatting about finding that new piece of public, uh, finding that new piece of, of ground, that new spot to hunt within the existing ground, uh, just finding plan A, plan B, plan C, D, E, and F because we all know if you're hunting public grand, ground or even if you're hunting private ground, Things can change during the season and you need to have secondary and tertiary options and you need to be able to to fall back on something. So uh, I've been talking to a few people on the old Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok about some scouting practices that I've been doing. So I thought it'd be a good idea to just share them with everybody. Um, and this one will kind of be short and sweet, but I think it'll, it'll help a lot of people. I'm very analytical and strategic minded. When things go well, I always ask myself, why did they go well? What allowed me to, to get to these this area that, that went well or this time frame, this incident? And when things go poorly, which is more often than not, why did it go poorly? Why didn't this work out? What was the problem? How can I fix it in the future? And so these, uh, what I'm going to give you is kind of the five primary keys that I look for when searching for new pieces of public land that I've found to be most helpful for me. And then I have four auxiliary keys um, that kind of tie into the five primaries. So, um, and this is just, again, this is what I've used to help. This is what I have found to be successful. I'm sure you guys have other uh, other ways to be successful, but if you're just trying to, trying to, you know, you lost your lease this year or you, you lost your permission or you were hunting a piece of public and a lot more guys came out to it and you're just trying to find... Uh, more and more spots to get to. Um, this is this is kind of what what's helped me and and I can't say enough. Like the more options you have, the better. A lot of these guys I interview on the podcast, um, especially the big buck guys, they are not married to a piece of ground. They go where the bucks are and they go where the deer are and what's easiest to kill. They might have 18 different bucks on camera and 17 of them are difficult to kill. And there's one that's just like showing up regularly on camera and that's the one they target. Um, it's not necessarily always about killing the hardest to kill deer. It's about killing the deer that is the most killable. Um, so for that, you having lots and lots of spots and lots of opportunity is what's going to allow you to, to figure out that information. And one of the other big pieces is, is time. Like all, all of us are limited on time. Very few of us have the ability to hunt, you know, eight, nine, 10 weeks in a hunting season. Most of us are hopeful if we can get off for two weeks during hunting season. And when you have just 14 days to try to get something done and make something happen, um, you know, it's, it's difficult. It really is. So trying to make the most of that, um, that, that 14 days is beneficial for everybody, um, or beneficial for you for sure. And just trying to try and scouting and understanding all the different options you have using cameras and not just putting all your eggs in one basket is probably going to be uh, more beneficial to you in the wrong in the long run with time. So this these are my that was a terrible explanation. I apologize for that. I've had a really long day. I want to get this podcast out. Um, I've been I've been traveling for the last man, 10, 11 days, uh, partially for work, some for fun, um, some for family. And it's just, 
draining on me, but I want to get this podcast out because so many of us are really starting to start, uh, are really starting to scout, get out there, get after some sheds, try to find some new spots, try to get rolling on this. So I, I hope these, I hope these tips help, um, or these strategic points. So with that, jumping into kind of the five primaries, the first one is, is proximity to your house. And this one's kind of straightforward. The closer you are to home, the more time you can spend on the property, the more time you can put boots on the ground, the quicker it is when you get off of work in the evening to just jump out there and go real quick for a short hunt. If you only got an hour left of light or you only got an hour in the morning before your son's soccer game or daughter's volleyball game or whatever it is, like being close to home can certainly give you more time in the field, not just during hunting season, but also during scouting season. And, and you know, it just gives you more time. Now the real question comes into like, if you, if you have to, if you have a five minute drive and a 30 minute walk, that's 35 minutes. What about driving 35 minutes to walk five minutes and you're being at a better property? It's all about timing and, and you guys will have to make that own, your own judgment call on that. But in general, like if you can find a decent property that's 10 minutes from your house versus a decent property that's an hour from your house, like you're obviously going to take the 10 minute or, um, and that's why I say, just start with proximity to your house. Try to start with stuff that's close to you. Uh, so you can put more time in if it's good, if it's not good, expand out and expand out and expand out and go further and further, but, but start as close as you can to your house. Um, number two, the amount of sign that you see. Now this one's fairly straightforward, but the thing I want to talk about is obviously sign is good, right? Seeing scrapes, seeing rubs, seeing trails, seeing droppings, beds, like all that stuff is good, but you want to make sure it's relatively good sign. And what I mean by that is you have to have a large sample size of ground. You have to go look at five, six, seven, eight different pieces of public ground to understand what is good for your area right? Because you might be like, wow, this sign is a 10 out of 10 and this is freaking awesome. And I'm going to hunt this for sure. And I might look at that same piece and be like, man, that's a two out of 10. I don't, I wouldn't hunt here. It's not enough sign to make me hunt here and I'm going to keep going. So by looking at multiple pieces and getting to seven, eight, nine pieces and looking at them all and being like, okay, this one had this kind of sign. This one had this, you're going to be able to start building um, building the information to say, okay, you know, property three, I thought had really good sign, uh, 10 out of 10, but actually it's more like a six out of 10 because property five had a 10 out of 10. And I want to try to hunt there and spend some more time there. Property one and two was marginal and maybe property four, that was that six out of 10 maybe that one's going to be just a lot better during late October and I'm not going to put any time into it earlier late season, but during kind of that midtime season, I might be able to sneak in there just because of how it laid out and how much sign it had. It might be best for, uh, for, for the pre-rut or the rut rather than anything else. So understanding what, what that sign is relative to other pieces will allow you to get good perspective um, on, on what you're looking at. And just a quick story, had a friend um, who was hunting a piece and he was like, hey man, I found some dynamite sign. I'm gonna go hunt this. I was like, cool, that's great. Did you find any other, look at any other pieces and check out any sign there? 
He said, nah, I didn't. This sign was fantastic. Like, I don't think I need to go anywhere else. I was like, all right, you're probably going to regret that later on in season. And, um, and he did, he ended up getting run over by other hunters and, and he was just like, all right, yep. Now I, I understand what you mean by, by having, you know, multiple different pieces or even multiple spots within the same piece to make sure that you can escape pressure when it inevitably does come. Cause at some point in time, whether you've been hunting a piece for, for five years or 30 years, at some point, someone's going to make it out there and you're going to be like, oh shit, now I got to do something. Cause somebody else is trying to, to hunt in the same area. So the amount, the amount of sign, figure out the relativity there. The next one, property layout. Now this kind of ties directly into time of season to hunt, um, which is one of my auxiliary pieces that I like to look at. But property layout, like does it have really good pinch point? Does it have good food sources or are there food sources close by? Does it have good bedding? Does it, is it swampy? Is it mature hardwoods? Is it young, uh, new growth? Is it, you know, some CRP scattered? Is it uh, oak savanna? Like, are there, are, are there any blockers? Um, and by blockers, I mean things that will stop humans like a river or a creek or a cliff or some sort of awful um, terrain-based feature that stops a lot of hunters. Now that turn that also goes into that also ties in with pressure. Um, but then the reason I say it ties in with time of season is because pinch points in general, and again, this is generally speaking, all of this is is general speak. There are no there are very, very few absolutes within the deer hunting woods. But in general, pinch points are best for the rut time frame. Like if you have a, a tiny little 20 acre parcel that's a sliver um, and it's almost all CRP, all tall grass, and then it's got one tree line on it, but that tree line connects, you know, a giant piece of private and another giant piece of private, and it connects the tree line uh, from both of those private pieces. Well, that little pinch point that's now created is probably going to be extremely good activity in early November because bucks are going to be running back and forth and they're going to want to stick to some form of cover. And if they can run through that tree line on, on public ground, that's probably going to be where they're going if they're trying to get from one of those private pieces to the other private piece. So pinch points can be phenomenal for like the pre-rut and the rut time frame. Now in the early and late season, it's kind of a toss up whether they're going to be awesome or not depending on where the deer bed because it's a bed to food pattern. Whereas in the pre-rut and the rut, it's a fine does pattern and kind of just go where my nose takes me type of thing. So like those certainly lay, like those certainly have a factor in the property layout um, or in, in, in the time of season when you hunt it. Also, like if, if you find like, you know, there's a great agriculture food source and it's green soybeans uh, in the early season, and there's a really nice bedding area, you know, 200 yards off those soybeans and in between the soybeans and the bedding area, there's a beautiful, you know, three acre oak flat with oaks that are popping off and there's a whole bunch of deer sign in there and there's a couple scrapes. Well, now that looks to me like a fantastic early season spot. So I'm gonna mark that down and be like, all right, I need to get in here early. Um, I'm sure other people know about this. I'm sure that I'm not the first one to ever find this. Uh, and with the type of, with the type of food source that's there, 
plus the bed, plus the oaks, and it's kind of all kind of open groundish. It's not a major pin, pinch point of any means, but that food source, that oak, those oaks are kind of a point food source, and then those deer will funnel out to the soybeans afterwards when it gets dark. Like I'm gonna try to get in there early, or I'm gonna put some cameras in there early to try to see what's going on in there, and hopefully, you know, you know, connect on a deer. So the layout of the property is is really important to, and that ties directly into the time of season so as i'm looking at a piece i'm taking all this into into account of all right here's some scrapes all right these scrapes are on pinch points these pinch points are connecting this bedding area and this bedding area so this pinch point with these scrapes are probably going to be great in the pre-rut um, and if that's what I'm looking at, so that means I'm kind of slating this, this piece of property to hunt in late October and early November. Now, vice versa, if I'm finding, uh, you know, more, it's mainly a big swamp, no major pinch kind of opens up into a big Oak flat. That's, you know, another 40 acres, but there's some solid Oaks here and there within there that are mass producing and then they can work out into a field like to me that's not that that can be good for pre-rut and uh and the rut but also it's going to be good for the early season whereas that pinch point would not be so great or probably isn't so great for the early season so that layout and just understanding how the deer are likely to move through that property um and what's going to what's going to draw them to one thing or another is is going to come into effect every time i'm looking at a piece when i find a sign when i find a trail uh, when i find a food source like all that thought process is going to be going into it now the next big one um, is pressure uh, pressure is really difficult to estimate when you're scouting in this in the spring in february march april may just because there's no other people out there now a few things that can help you with that um, finding branches that are cut like or trails where the branches are cut or trails where the branches are broke off or you're finding trash you're finding marks in the tree from other tree stands um, you're finding mainly human trails they're a little bit wider than deer trails it just or you're finding boot prints in the mud like there's all sorts of things that you can kind of understand to uh to understand if there's humans there or not other humans the real question at that point is is when you when you do think there's other humans there it's can you beat them to the punch right can you hunt this on opening night when no one else is going to be there or opening week or can you hunt it during the week when there's less pressure um and that's only if it's a good spot if it's not a great spot or you don't think it's a great spot then move on right and just be like okay yep there's too many people here like there's four trees in this tiny, I'm not interested. I'm just move on and see if I can find better sign elsewhere. There's all there's all sorts of factors that go into it, um, and also like understanding how other people enter and exit this. I was scouting um, a couple weeks ago, and there was a human trail that I took into this oak flat that was off a dirty marsh, and the oak flats usually got good sign in it, um, and there were deer tracks all over. And this is after season again. This is in like mid February. Um, so there's snow on the ground. I can see all the tracks. It's definitely, you know, a couple packs of does. It seems like I know there was one really nice eight point um, using this area towards the end of season. Saw them from the road a couple times. Um, so I know there's good deer in here in general. Um, but I can also tell when I walked in on the human trail, there were beds from the deer roughly like within 10, 20 feet of the human trail 
which kind of alerts me to the fact that maybe these deer uh, are sitting here and when people are coming in, they're hearing them and seeing them and bounding out of there before these people even get to the oak flat. And by the time they're hunting it, the deer that have, that were there are now gone and they're no longer like huntable. And you've already, you, you've messed your hunt up and you don't even know. So understanding that, you know, allows me to say, okay, well, if I am going to hunt here, I need to access this from a different angle. I need to go to the non- typical like that was just the shortest route right most humans will take if there's an oak flat out there they're going to go from point a to point b and they're not really going to take a roundabout route now with with the these beds in mind if i ever do hunt that piece again i did plot out a new route that would make sense that would work i did not find any beds along the new route now that can change that certainly can change but at least it gives me an idea like you know what like this is probably a better route to take and it's probably going to increase my odds of success of seeing deer in here versus just blazing through the normal trail that everyone else uses. So something to kind of take into effect um, or take into account with the pressure, the pressure thing, um, especially if there's snow on the ground, you can really see where those, those deer bed. Um, so pressure is certainly uh, a key indicator and that ties into the property layout, which is blockers. Um, and then my next key point is size. So pressure uh, aligns with all of these things that we're talking about here. Um, the proximity to your house isn't isn't necessarily a big factor. It's more along long lines of proximity to a major metro area. Like if you're if you're hunting on the biggest piece or the first piece of public land uh, right outside of Omaha, Nebraska, like there's probably going to be a lot of hunters there. Versus if you're hunting a, a piece of public ground 500 miles from Omaha, there's probably going to be very few people there, um, and vice versa. So, so proximity to to a major metro area is certainly going to decrease you, the amount of pressure you're going to see, um, and then the 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 size to also ties into to the pressure and the property layout because if you have a really big piece, that pressure can disperse. Like if you're thinking about I think about it like as if you're um, pouring pouring water down your driveway, like you leave your hose run and it goes down your a gravel driveway or something. That water can kind of run anywhere and disperse anywhere. It's not funneled into a single point. Whereas if you pour it down one of the cracks, it all funnels into that one point. Now that one point will have all the pressure on it. Whereas if you just drop it on the concrete slab, it can spread out wherever it goes. So the bigger the piece, the least, less amount of pressure that's going to be in, in certain areas. But also, like, it depends on how that piece lays out a little bit. Because if it's all dirty, nasty swamp except for one main tree line down the middle, well, that tree line is going to get a whole lot of pressure, right? So even though it's 800 acres, it might not be a good fit because it's just the only way to hunt it is down this middle piece and it just doesn't work out. Whereas you might find, like I mentioned, a 20 acre piece that's all CRP and everyone overlooks it and there's very little pressure there and you can hunt that piece, you know, at, at a tree line just for the first week in November and get some great activity and hopefully get a good buck. Like it's all, the the size is relative because it doesn't matter if, if it's big or small, it just matters uh, if it has pressure on it. And if it, the bigger it is, then you can escape pressure more. The smaller it is, it's more difficult to escape pressure. So that's why I always try to look at it as like, you know, if you find a piece that's 
let's just pretend it's 300 acres like and you you like a, an area that's 20 acres and you find someone in there one time like you go in there and you can see a tree stand someone left up or something like that well you can maneuver around in that 20 acres to get maybe they hunt like you know a portion of it and you hunt a portion of it whereas if it's a really small piece and there's pressure in there man, you can blow it out really quick so it's it's the the size generally is just about can i go further into this property deeper into this property can i cross a blocker can i get through a terrain feature that would stop 99 percent of people can i get past that and can i you know get to another piece that that is very low pressure because of the size of this piece right again uh that kind of plays into you know, more and more people getting further and further back, you know, it's not good enough to just go two miles anymore. You got to go two miles back plus an extra 500 yards off a trailer or 500 yards through a dirty swamp to get to the piece, the little chunk that people aren't getting to anymore. We're becoming more ambitious um, and, and getting after it more and more every year. It seems like hunters are becoming more and more uh, aggressive. And I think the the size is certainly a factor but you're looking for those blockers to the reason the only reason you're looking for size and blockers is to reduce pressure and to find find pockets of deer that aren't hunted or that the big bucks tend to go to where the least amount of pressure is so the size certainly matters uh but i would also say you know a 20 acre chunk that is unpressured versus a 200 chunk that is heavily pressured, I would take the 20 acre chunk all day that's unpressured um, just because you're gonna probably have better uh, better quality, like more realistic. I would say less, pre- well, I don't wanna say more realistic. I would just say you're gonna get more daylight activity from these deer. It's more likely because there's less pressure out there. And if you manage your own pressure well, you can get more and more daytime activity um, and you're not just getting nocturnal pictures all the time. So that would be how I, how I would look at, at size. I was talking to one guy the other day. I said, you know, if you, if, if you don't have a giant piece, right, you just have a whole bunch of smaller ones, like a 40 acre here, 20 acre there, 60 over here, 45 over there. What I would do is go look at all of them find the ones that you like the most. Like if you have seven or eight pieces that you want to look at, let's call it eight. You have eight pieces you want to look at. You go look at all of them. You decide that four of them are worthy of hunting based on the amount of sign you saw and time of year. Like those four are pretty good. Hunting season rolls around and all of a sudden two of them get scratched off your list right away because everybody and their brother is there. And now you got two left and those two are the two that you need to that you want to spend time hunting because there's the least amount of pressure there. And that can even change year to year. Like this year I was hunted a I hunted a piece last year where I saw very few people and I had very I had a couple cell cameras out there. Uh actually no, I didn't have cell. I had regular cameras out there. And when I checked those cameras last year, I saw very few people. I should say two years ago, I saw very few people and I had good deer movement, daytime activity. I didn't hunt it very much just because I was focused elsewhere. Um, But then this year, 
I kind of had the same strategy and I went to go hunt that uh, two weekends uh, earlier in the season and both weekends there were three cars, four cars in the lot. And then when I was able to pull my cameras one day, I went in there and I had people on there every three to four days. So it was just one of those one of those things that just like wasn't working uh, extremely well. Um, or I shouldn't say it wasn't working very well. I should just say it changed year to year. So at that point, I was like, oh, crap. I guess I'm not hunting this piece. I'm going to hunt a different piece now because of because of all this pressure that's coming in. Now, you know, thankfully I have more spots, right? And that's why you wanna have those eight spots or those eight pieces. You get four that you wanna hunt and you wanna add to that every year. So, you know, you got eight spots this year that uh, that you looked at, you got four that you like to hunt. Hopefully next year you can, you know, go look at four more pieces and get two more spots that you wanna hunt. So now you have a total of six. And you can start like adding more and more pieces. And over the years, you develop this category, this uh, this you know knowledge base of all these little spots and pockets and and pieces of ground that you can hunt at different times of the year, different winds, uh, depending on the pressure that year, time of season, all that kind of stuff. So the idea isn't just to you know find the spots that are good this year and and be happy with it. It's find and find and find and find year after year after year because you know every year is a new season new people new hunters new people move into town um you know some people might blow up a spot in some way shape or form you dnr might come in and you know and just totally change the landscape on a piece there's all sorts of factors that can play into it but the idea is the more spots you have the more places you can go the better off you're going to be during season when shit doesn't go the way you think it's going to go, which happens pretty much every season, right? So those are the four, four main pillars that are five main pillars that I look at is, is proximity to home, the amount of sign relative to other areas in the other spots in the area, the, the property layout, which ties into the time of season, uh, the pressure and the size. So, and then as far as my auxiliary pieces that I, that I like to think about, Time of season, certainly. Like, am I going to hunt this early? Am I going to hunt this mid? Am I going to hunt this late? Is it pre-rut? Is it rut? And again, that factors into the property layout, the sign that you see, and also the amount of pressure. Like, one of the things, there's a couple spots that I like to hunt that are only good for, like, the first couple weeks of season. After that, like, it's pretty much toast. People get in there. People start pushing deer around squirrel hunters get in there, whatever it is, like there's other, there's other factors that make it, that make that piece not very good after, after the first couple weeks of season. And that brings up other hunting activities. Like that is something that I always look at, you know, CRP fields. I've mentioned those a few times. Great for pheasant hunting. You're going to have pheasant hunters in there. What are the regulations on pheasant hunters in Wisconsin? Some, some spots close at noon. So great evening hunts, terrible morning sits. Um, some spots are open all day, so you're just going to deal with pheasant hunters all day. Um, and pheasant hunting opens like mid-October, mid or early October. So you got to get in and get out of there and try to kill that deer before that opens up because they're just going to push everything with their dogs for the next, you know, three months and you're never going to be able to really 
get in there and hunt that like you would in the early season. <clears throat> and it also helps to funnel the deer too. Like, you know, if you're, if you're on a piece that's dominated or if you're in an area that's dominated with CRP and you're looking at, you know, a 400 acre chunk, but 250 acres of it is pheasant, uh, pheasant hunting. Like maybe the early season, you try to get out there and try to get a few, you know, shorter hikes in to, to your hunting spots. And then when pheasant season hits and they start pushing all those deer around, those deer are going to go from a piece of property that to them was 400 acres in size. But now because of all the pheasant hunters, it's reduced to 150 acres. And now you're, you're hunting these deer in a much smaller area. They're either pushing, they could be pushing off to private. They could just be, you know, almost like herding up or being, uh, pushed into very narrow pockets, small pockets. I don't know, but it's just, I'm just saying like you want to understand other hunting activities. My biggest, uh, I've ran into all pretty much everybody, goose hunters, duck hunters. Um, when I'm hunting the swamps, uh, I get pheasant hunters when I'm hunting the CRP stuff. I get squirrel hunters when I'm hunting mature hardwoods and oaks. Like you get, you get kind of a little flavor of everybody. Um, when you're out there on the public ground and it's just really learning where those people like to hunt and what they're willing to do, um, to get there. I've, I've met some very serious squirrel hunters that are a mile and a half back, just trying to, you know, knock down a couple of tree rats. And it's like, Jesus, dude, go, go. You can do this by the parking lot. I saw them when I parked earlier today, like just get them there. Um, but at the same time, we all have a right to be out there. So, you know, good for them to, for, for making the trek. Um, so time of season, other hunting activities. And then the other one that the other one that I kind of really look at is entry and exit paths and walk-in times. So I kind of discussed the entry and exit paths uh, earlier with that one bed that I found um, or the couple beds that I found along the, the one trail. Um, but like the entry and exit paths, they need to make sense or when you find an area, let's just say you're, you're walking a 300 acre piece and you find like a two, three, four acre area that you like, good transition zone, good edge line, good trails, there's some scrapes, there's some food, it looks like there's some bedding close by, there's a food source down the way that you can easily see them kind of working towards, low amount of pressure, you've crossed a blocker, like all these things are playing out and they're looking good. Then the next thing you need to really like analyze is your entry and exit path. And that ties into your entry and exit, like walk-in times, how much time you need to set aside to get in here properly without, you know, really screwing things up. And it's like, are you going to go a straight line from point A to point B? Are you going to have to do some roundabout way to get in here? Are you going to have to enter from a you know, a non-parking lot area and park on the road? Are you going to have to, you know, maybe get a canoe and the blocker is a river and instead of walking in and crossing the river uh, and your Jimmy Johns, you're going to, or your Long Johns and the Jimmy Johns, I'm hungry thinking about subs, <laughs> um, crossing your the river and your Long Johns or whatever, you know, you maybe you want to bring a canoe. So starting to analyze like how you're going to get in here and then also how much time you need. Cause there's certain things where, you know, there's certain spots where I, it's gonna take me about an hour and 10 or an hour 20 minute hike in to get to where I wanna be and get there the way I want to get there without disturbing 
you know, deer, like satellite deer, like does or small bucks or some, something that's kind of bedded on the outside of these bedding areas rather than the core of this bedding area. And you're going to have to take a certain path or take your time or, you know, you're going to have to get there super early in the dark or you're going to have to get there at noon just so you can hunt it well at four o'clock in the afternoon. Like understanding that allows you to then like plan out the path, plan out where you want to put your tree stand or, or if you want to sit on your ground blind, where you want to set up, where you think are the deer are going to come to and from analyzing that information and then planning out, you know, how much time you need. Can I do this in an after work sit? No, I can't. I have to, I can only hunt this. You don't want to have a lot of time. So if I'm going to plan out some, you know, maybe it's a CRP, uh, where pheasant hunting ends at noon, but it takes an hour and a half to get there. Uh, and you, there is decent amount of pressure during the weekend. So you want to hunt it during the week and you think where you found it's pr pretty heavily loaded with scrapes and close to a couple bedding areas that you found. So you're thinking to yourself, all right, I want to hunt this in later October and I want to hunt it during the week. So I'm going to have to take some half days. I don't really want to take the mornings because the pheasant hunters are going to be out there, but I'll take the half days in the afternoons because they have to stop and I need to get out here at noon. And it's all about, and, and really you think about all this stuff and it seems complex and complicated, but it's all about in the essence of, of doing the most with the time that we have in balancing, you know, work, family, ourselves, uh, hunting, and then any, any other activities that we have, have going on. And we all have a lot of things going on. Um, it's just trying to make the most of that time. So that's why I put so much thought into all these pieces is to make sure that when season hits um, and it opens up in mid-September like it does for us in Wisconsin, I have game plans and I have points of attack. And the opening night in Wisconsin, it's ridiculous for our tree season. Like I will go to, I think this last year I went to six different parking lots before I found one that wasn't full. Like the rest of them like couldn't even pull in. Like I was just like baffled. It was the first time it ever like really happened to me. But thank goodness I had six different spots that I could check and I had two more in reserve but I had an idea of where I wanted to go um, and plan A, B, C, D, and E failed. Like I had to go with plan F, which was okay. Like, I mean, I got in and I saw some deer, um, nothing special or anything, but I still got a hunt in and got, you know, got up in the tree and felt good to be back type of thing. Um, but there certainly are, you know, times where I wish that wasn't the case. And, and I'm thankful I have as many spots as I do. And I've built those up um, over seven, eight years of hunting out here. And making sure that and having a lot of failures where I do run into people, where I do go and sit and I don't see deer, where I do take the wrong entry and exit and I jump a whole bunch of deer on the way in. Um, and then I have to like kind of bugger that hunt. Um, I have had a lot of failures and those failures are kind of what I'm trying to share and why these are the top things that I'm looking for when I'm going out and looking at a piece. Um, and how I'm making the decision of where I want to spend my time. All right. So that's kind of all I got for today, everybody. I, I hope that was helpful for some of you in trying to analyze some pieces um, and understand exactly where you want to spend your time this spring because um, then that'll help you out certainly this fall. If you have any questions or anything, um, hit me up on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, whatever, uh, or 
Um, my email is hellera90 at gmail.com. Again, hellera90 at gmail.com. Shoot me an email if you don't have any of the socials. And um, if you enjoyed the podcast, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Thank you very much, everyone. Catch you later.